0: Hello and welcome to the Emergent Ecosystem, a Zimbabwean podcast about ecosystems, how they support our livelihoods, and how we can steward them to create a better future. I'm your host, Scott Richardson. A quick notice, the Spider Club of Zimbabwe is having their first AGM at Mukabizi Woodlands on the 7th of November at 10am. So if you're interested in observing and identifying spiders and would like to join the community, that would be a good introduction. You can also find the Spider Club of Zimbabwe on Facebook. Since the time of the ancient Egyptians, vultures have been revered in Africa, having the ability to see into the future, but also regarded as greedy, dirty scavengers. All our vulture species are now critically endangered, so this week we'll explore the threats and the conservation strategies for our vultures. My guest this week is Fadzai Machimbo, the Preventing Extinctions Officer at BirdLife Zimbabwe. She studied forest and wildlife resources at the National University of Sciences and Technologies in Bulawayo. She now leads the Vulture Conservation Program at BirdLife Zimbabwe. Fatzai Chimbo, welcome to the Emergent Ecosystem. Thank you, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. So you are working with BLZ, BirdLife Zimbabwe, on the Vulture Project.
1: Yes, I am. I'm the Preventing Extinctions Programme Manager for Bird Lives Zimbabwe. So the whole program is working with all bird species that are under threat of extinction.
0: So that includes vultures, and are there any other groups?
1: Yes. We also have other big raptors, such as Marshall Eagles. Yes. They are now also on the threatened list as well. Secretary birds, cranes, which are wetland specialists. And then we also have Afro-Montane specials, such as blue swallows, again, are also on that list. So in Zimbabwe, we're looking at about 13 species that are on the threatened list category. This is, is classified under the International Union of Conservation for Nature.
0: All right, so you have quite a lot of work cut out for you. And how did you actually get into this role?
1: It's been a long journey. So when I went to university, I studied forest resources and wildlife management. This was at the National University of Science and Technology in, in Bulawayo. Sure. The program was designed that one year you'd work as an intern at an organization of your choice. Find your way around because, you know, ecology is such a wide spectrum of work. So sort of try to find what are the specifics you'd like to get into so i spent a whole year in Wange national park the biggest park in zimbabwe i found that i loved and enjoyed watching birds i was actually assisting on a project on working on large herbivores but i found myself gravitating towards working with birds and from then on i just followed any opportunities that i could find to work with birds and i joined birdlife zimbabwe since then i've been involved in various projects, research and monitoring, working with people, working with stakeholders, you know, to support bird conservation in this country. I joined BirdLife Zimbabwe in 2008. So this makes this my 12th year working at BirdLife Zimbabwe. Sure, well
0: done. (laughs) Yeah, what in particular about birds attracted you?
1: With birds, I enjoyed, you know, just sort of watching them going about their business. I also liked just watching them find food and even the interactions that they also had with other herbivores and with the general ecosystem so at one time i was actually supposed to be watching impalas i always remember the story quite vividly because i ended up watching oxpeckers. it was sure (laughs) that was it for me i tended to just get lost with everything that was happening with the birds so just trying to understand everything why they're choosing certain habitats and not others So yeah, birds mm,
0: are very fascinating things to watch. You know
1: the colours, the calls, everything about them is very, very. It's actually quite fascinating. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and one of your main projects is now the vulture project.
1: Yeah. So in the last couple of years, um, some of the other species I've worked on, I've already mentioned, such as the cranes and blue swallows. But really in the last five years, my focus has really been working with the voucher projects stemming from their increased risk of, of extinction. And that's not just in Zimbabwe, but across Africa as a whole. So there was need to really develop a program, a project of work focused on saving vouchers in Zimbabwe, not just for the country, but also as a contribution to the regional efforts in voucher conservation.
0: Sure. What in particular makes vultures an important species to conserve? For example, what's their ecological role?
1: The easiest way to look at the function of vultures in the ecosystem is to imagine our lives without people who take out the garbage. I mean, they are nature's clean-up crew. Their job is basically getting rid of rotting, carcasses um, left out in nature. so. How can we imagine our lives without taking out the garbage? It would be a disaster. So their importance in their ecosystem is really, uh, you know, suppressing disease outbreaks stemming from the fact that, you know, they can easily clean up carcasses within the shortest possible time. And they're the only sort of group of animals that totally rely on scavenging as a way of life. They don't hunt as you can see from the, oh, not that you can see, but from their features, you know, from their bald heads and specially adapted to feed on carrion, which has been their biggest downfall as well, because one of the reasons why they've become threatened is they've been feeding on poisoned carcasses. If you look at across Africa, and this has happened in various forms, either through poaching activities, where poachers want their activities concealed, because when an animal dies, you see vultures circling above. So poachers want to stop the activities being detected by authorities. So there have been cases where poached animals have been laced with poison so that when the vultures come down and eat, they don't fly up and notify you know, rangers and other wildlife um, authorities. And then in other cases, there's also been unintentional poisoning when people's um, livestock uh, have been attacked by predators and they want to get rid of predators. So when they try and poison predators, they also poison vouchers. Because vouchers tend to feed in large numbers, they tend to get much more affected than other species. There have been cases where one elephant carcass and you know, close to 500 vouchers in one year. So you can imagine those kinds of losses, how many beds we are losing in in any span of time. So they've really taken a major, major hit. So that's been really one of the big problems. Other problems also, as with other species currently, loss of habitat, which we see across many species currently. And we also have one of the issues, not just in Zimbabwe, but in Southern Africa, more importantly in West Africa, is the issue of harvesting for belief-based use. Where people, yeah, there is a belief that voucher parts can be used either to predict the future, get in touch with ancestors, predict gambling results. That also drives the harvesting vouchers for their parts in amongst other problems, including shortages of food as well. So quite a myriad number of problems have affected the outlook for vultures currently.
0: So culturally, vultures are very iconic.
1: Yes, uh, yes, they are, Um, especially if you look at the, if I can say, African cosmology or the ideology, you know, uh, African people are not just physical beings, but a combination of the physical and the spiritual being and vouchers being seen as beds of the gods. There is always this association of trying to say, you know, how do we see into the future by the use of voucher parts? So they've always been seen as beds that can connect people to the gods and to the ancestors.
0: All right, okay. So that's had quite a negative effect on the vulture populations in some ways are there any examples where culture has positive effects
1: yeah definitely if you know you know our totems as well i mean there are people of the hungwe totem but then we'll have the general nyoni totem which refers to beds in the in our culture if something is your totem for for instance myself zebras are my totem i'm not expected to eat zebras or cause any harm to zebras so, people of the unit of the unitotum are expected to be on the forefront of looking after birds. Definitely, there's always a positive aspect of culture in conservation.
0: Sure, okay. Specifically to vultures, what are the sorts of challenges in conserving vultures that are unique?
1: One that I've found over the years is. The perception of vultures as being birds that are not charismatic, beautiful, or cute—I mean, other species tend to feature highly on um, fundraising or other on agendas because you know they are beautiful, they tug at people's hearts. But with vultures, it's very difficult because they eat carrion. They are really associated with the lowest form of life. So the perception of vultures. As being good birds, if I can just put it like that, is very, is very low. Even if it's very it's a very functional role, but you find that perception and you can see even in different ways that people refer to them. When somebody is greedy, they are often referred to, they are a voucher. If somebody is profiteering from a situation that they're not supposed to be they tend to be associated with vouchers like you know that's typical voucher behavior or, or something of the sort. So perception is really one of the biggest problems around vouchers. So in the end we're really talking about the attitudes to vouchers. So once that changes you really do see the changes from um, from people in terms of supporting voucher conservation. So I'd say that the biggest issue we need to work on is attitudes uh, towards vouchers if we also want the a better outcome for vultures.
0: And then just switching to the vultures themselves, how many different species do we have in Zimbabwe?
1: We're looking at six different species um, in Zimbabwe. So the m- most common one um, is the white-begged vulture. Uh, this is the one that most people see in big numbers at carcasses, largely present across much of the country except the eastern highlands. We also have lapid-faced vulture. So this is the biggest vulture not just in Zimbabwe but in Africa. So this is the species that usually tears open a carcass so that um, other vultures can come in and feed. In Shona we call it umbo ranzo. So that's the one that tears open the elephant so that other vultures can get in. Quite a very impressive bird with a wingspan of close to three meters. So quite an impressive bird. Another species that we also see is the um, white-headed vulture, almost beautiful <laughs> because of its white head and really walks around with a very arrogant demeanor so quite an interesting bird and the only one where you can tell the difference between males and female. The female has got white windows. We also get wooded vultures, um, the last ones to feed the carcass because they are so tiny and always squashed out by everyone else so in terms of feeding hierarchy you find that they come in at the very end and they like to feed on the bone marrow and so really clean the bones clean and they've got a specially hooked tip on their beak just to do that and then zimbabwe is on the northernmost end of the distribution of cape vultures others also call them cape griffons. so wabai or Deption used to have a roost site where they were regularly seen uh, we also do see them uh, now and then, either in Wange or in other places, but uh, very hard to distinguish between them and the white-backed vultures for most people. Then the last species is the palm nut vulture, mostly in the eastern highlands. The only vulture that doesn't feed on meat. Uh, it's really a confined, small, isolated population. at Aberfoyle in in the eastern highlands. So that's a quick rundown of of the six species that we routinely find in, in Zimbabwe.
0: Sure, thanks very much. So just to summarise it, we have vultures and their role in the ecosystem is to clean up the rotting meat. Yes, and carcasses. And in doing that, they're reducing risk of diseases. Yes. And each of the species that we have Mm -hmm. plays a different role Mm -hmm. in cleaning up.
1: Yes, yes, that's really quite a good way to sum it up. There have been studies that have been done uh, in other areas where they've seen that in the absence of vultures, it takes three times longer to get rid of carcasses. In the meantime, scavengers, especially if you're looking at close to urban areas, are possibly now spreading disease. So in the absence of vultures, we tend to see diseases outbreaks. So definitely they are a key component of the ecosystem.
0: Sure. Yeah, another feature of vultures is that they travel long distances.
1: Oh yes, oh yes, they do travel long distances, especially the young birds. They normally start breeding at about five or six years, which is quite long. If you look at smaller birds, they're breeding a few months after they've been hatched. but vultures are about five to six years, that's quite a long time. And mostly just raise one chick um, every year or every two years. The breeding birds are mainly confined to their breeding territories but the immature birds they're exploding all over traveling distances 500 kilometers a day so they are in one country today another country tomorrow so there is this need for transboundary cooperation in their conservation because no one country can totally protect the species and its habitat in its entirety so speaks volumes for the need to really push the transboundary conservation uh, for these birds
0: Sure, indeed. So what does your actual vulture conservation work entail?
1: Quite routinely, we collect data from the field to understand what is the status of the vulture populations, in different, especially in breeding areas.
0: Okay, also, what kind of data do you collect?
1: So we collect data on the number of nesting vultures. We also try to collect as much data on, as possible on the status of those breeding habitats what species are commonly used by vultures for nesting, because it also gives us an indication of, you know, if these type of trees are taken out of the ecosystem, then we're drastically reducing their nesting areas. We also estimate our vulture population densities and how frequently we see some species, because it also speaks to, you know, are there any other species that are not longer occurring in a certain habitat, So, in general, that's the kind of data that we collect when we do our voucher surveys. In the last few years, we've done work in the Zambezi Valley, surveys in Manapul's National Park, surveys at Sango Ranch, which is in Save Valley Conservancy, and more recently, along the Gua'i River.
0: Okay, so those surveys, Mm. are you going to carcasses or are you finding nesting sites? How does It, it sort of work?
1: In those surveys, we're actually finding nesting sites, well, the best way to cover large tracts of areas would be by doing aerial surveys. But so far, what we have done within what is available to us, we've been doing it by walking transects, basically walking in habitats where we are likely to find vulture nests. And we've, we've had some very um, interesting results. In 85 kilometers of the Guai, we found 89 nests, which was quite exciting. So that's how we've mostly found our data through walking transects on the ground, looking for these uh, nesting sites. All right. So one of the recent concepts that we have started working on is what are called voucher save zones. If I can sort of take you a few steps back, in Asia, when they had a big population crash of vouchers in the 90s, where they lost between 95 to 99 percent of their voucher populations due to use of a drug called diclofenac, mostly affected vouchers, yeah, of the gypsy family. Of which in Africa we're really looking at white bagged and cave voucher. So, when they lost big numbers of vouchers, large numbers of cows or cattle carcasses that had died were left uneaten. And there was um, an explosion in feral dog populations. More people were okay. beaten than there was need to control rabies. It was estimated the Indian government was going into billions of dollars controlling rabies. In order to respond to this voucher crisis, they created what we called voucher safe zones, where they try to make sure that diclofenac within a specific radius was either not used or sold in the veterinary shops. So we are borrowing that concept to an African perspective to create areas where we think we can really put in concentrated voucher conservation measures to protect and, and serve vouchers from extinction. So we look in areas where we can really protect a core breeding population, you know, raise awareness, but the key ingredient in doing this is to work with willing landowners owners and land managers to really make this work. In Zambia, they've also been testing this out in South Africa, so hopefully we should be able to compare how these voucher save zones are actually working in order to save vouchers across three countries and cascade them to the rest of Africa.
0: So is it mainly to do with the use of diclofenac or with the other things that they do to create these vulture safe zones?
1: We're still largely developing these guidelines. In the Asian case, the big issue was diclofenac, but Africa is a more complex issue because we're not just dealing with one issue. We've got unintentional and intentional poisoning, we've got harvesting for the multi-trade, we've got reduced food shortages all in the same space. So it's really to work towards taking out what are the worst risks to vouchers and create a safe environment in that area. Only because you know our situation is quite complex. So far you know we are working in Guai Intensive Conservation Area and also in parts of Savia Valley Conservancy as part of rolling out these voucher safe zones.
0: Alright, so that's where they're located?
1: Yes, this is where they this is where they are located, yes.
0: And in Zimbabwe, what kind of protection do vultures have currently?
1: Zimbabwe is actually one of the few countries that has got the highest level of protection for vultures. They are actually classified as specially protected species under the Zimbabwe Parks and Wildlife Act. So the highest level of protection by legislation for wildlife, which is quite a big plus. And it's all the six species that are protected by law. And in addition, Zimbabwe is the only country in Africa uh, if not in the world that has got a Zimbabwe voucher action plan so a series of guidelines or steps if I can put it in a very simple way that spells out what needs to be done in order to save vouchers uh, in Zimbabwe so the voucher action plan is got Five main components, one speaks to addressing the poisoning issues, one speaks to improving our knowledge on the vouchers, which is around research and monitoring, another one around education and awareness, and also addressing policy and legislation is another issue, and then also infrastructure because vouchers are known to also collide into power lines. So it's also important to make sure that infrastructure is located away from breeding areas and also from pathways of vouchers because they also do get electrocuted and collide into power lines. This is actually a big threat in our neighbouring countries of Africa where got, they've got massive infrastructure development, but you know the rest of Africa is also heading that way. So we also need to make sure that there is planning at a landscape level to make sure that, you know, species such as these are not affected by um, infrastructural developments.
0: Sure, that's very interesting. So on the topic of development, yeah. thinking about the future, what is the best future that you could imagine? Oh my,
1: <laughs> that's a that's a big one. Just thinking about the future, it would be great, fantastic to see a future where the efforts that we have made in conservation pay dividends. By that I mean where we can protect not just the vouchers but ecosystems. At the end of the day this is our natural capital. This is what we need as human beings to survive. The future would look great with intact ecosystems, the healthy populations of different species and that would also speak volumes to the health of Uh, humans as a species as well so definitely that's what the future would for me I think would really I would love to see um, a future like that.
0: Well thank you very much Fadzai it's been a great conversation.
1: Well thank you very much Scott thank you very much uh, for your time it's been interesting to talk about vultures.
0: It's been very interesting indeed it's a pleasure. That was Fadzai Machimbo preventing extinctions officer at BirdLife Zimbabwe find out more visit www.birdlifezimbabwe.org then scroll down to the bottom of the page and find the vultures tag. The emergent ecosystem is on most podcast apps which makes it easy for you to listen download and find more episodes. If you have a friend that might enjoy this episode feel welcome to share it. Thanks to Kevin Hansen for the music and thank you for listening. Until next week, cheers!